The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, if you're uh, near a Bible, if you have one with you, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 27. And while you're doing that, uh, let me give you a definition of a word. The word is courage. Now we might think we know kind of exactly what that means. Yeah, I say the word courage, maybe you realize, okay, I got it. No, I, know, I know about that. Uh, Webster defines courage in this way. It's having mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So it's having the strength to handle danger or fear or difficulty. I saw a quote by John Wayne one time that said, courage was not the absence of fear, it was being scared and going forward anyway. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a decent way to put it, uh, as John Wayne can only put it, you know, because he's got plenty of quotes. Uh, one of my favorite ones is, life is hard, it's harder when you're stupid. So that's kind of one of my ones I kind of hang on to to try. All right, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. You know, life's hard enough as it is. Let's not add our own problems to it. So courage. Courage is having uh, not necessarily a lack of fear, just uh, being able to withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So here's a question I would ask you to consider in your own lives. Well, several questions, really. What are the most significant challenges you have faced during your walk with Jesus? Just think about that for a minute. Significant challenges during your walk with Jesus. How about this? What's, what circumstances or events have proven to give you the most difficulty while trying to follow Jesus? Following, following Jesus and His Word and then having uh, difficulty, having uh, challenges, that, uh, events or circumstances to give you the most difficulty. How about, how about this? Have any of those situations required you to exercise courage as we've just defined it? Having the mental or moral strength to persevere, Keep going or withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Courage is something that is typically required in life all the time. Because there's always going to be situations and circumstances that cause us to be fearful or cause us uh, to see danger or difficulty that lies ahead of us. And so courage is, is a, uh, a characteristic that is valuable. So today in, in Acts chapter 27 and in the first part of 28, this is really different, okay? I, I'll just tell you that. This is a different part of Scripture than we're used to, I think, because this text, this part of the story, we're, we're right here at the end of the book of Acts, and this part of the story is really... Mostly just that. It's a story. It's, it's tracing Paul's journey 
from where he was on trial and where he was in front of the king, uh, a governor, religious leaders, everybody there accusing him. And if you recall, the very last verse of chapter 26, which for us was two weeks ago, if you remember what was said, you can look right there in your Bible, chapter 26, verse 32, King Agrippa said to the governor, Festus, this man might have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And so at that point, he, he was at a point in his life where he had just testified yet again, the third time in front of some really important people, and they conferred among themselves and said, well, we, we could have turned him loose. But he appealed to the emperor to, to go to Rome. And you remember why he did that? Because Jesus told him, the same way you've testified boldly for me here in Jerusalem, you're going to do the same thing in Rome. Jesus told him he's got to go. And he appealed to Caesar, although it was beneficial to him at the time in his earthly circumstances, but God already told him, you've got to go. You've got to go to Rome. You've got to go to the, the, the major center of everything, and you've got to testify. So this is his journey. So what we're going to do today, it's a long passage of Scripture, and I'm going to read the whole thing because I, I'm, I'm just of the belief our time is never wasted reading the Bible. And, and so I don't want to skip that because what I have to say about what we read is far less important than what we read in the Bible. Okay, y'all all right? The Bible, the, the Word of God is far more important than what I can add to it or, or say about it. So I want to read the, the Scripture and so you can trace the story. And then here's what I'd like to do. I've identified what I believe are some portions in four different sections of this long passage, points where the Apostle Paul demonstrates courage as a follower of Jesus. And I believe we can apply these things to our lives and try to use those as encouragement and examples for us that we might use courage as we follow Jesus. So here's... Here's the passage, chapter 27, I'll start in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through to uh, verse 10 in chapter 28. And then next Sunday we will conclude our study of the book of Acts. So here's what the Bible says, starting in Acts 27 and verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adramitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. So the next day, we put in at Sidon. And if you, just geographically, if you remember, if you're looking at a map and you see the Mediterranean Sea and then it ends and you see down the coast in, uh, of, of uh, Israel and you see Sidon's at the very top and then you move down and you go into Jerusalem. So Sidon's at the very top of that uh, on a map when you see that. So they put in there, verse 3, And Julius treated Paul with consideration, allowed him to go, with his, uh, go to his friends and receive care. From there we put out to sea, sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. Now Cyprus is that island right outside there, right off the coast. And because the winds were contrary. So when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. 
So there, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship that was sailing for Italy. So he put us aboard it. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Sinaitis, since the wind did not permit us farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, it's another island, off Salmone. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. Now, let me just say this right here at verse 9. Paul is a prisoner, <laughs> okay? There's a bunch of people on this ship. There's a centurion, there's soldiers. Paul's a prisoner, but he speaks up just the same. And so Paul is starting to encourage these people or admonish them. And he says in verse 10, he said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and they spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called a Euroquilo. This is like a, a northeaster. Okay, that's, the, that's what that means, a northeaster wind. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it, let ourselves be driven along. And running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. Now, if you know, I'm just to give you a picture here. You know when you got a big ship and you have a, like a, it's like a lifeboat, but it's just tied by a rope and kind of trailing behind it? a smaller little boat, that's what they're talking about. They're trying to get that thing, the waves are so rough, they're trying to get that thing pulled up into the main ship so it won't be torn to pieces, okay? So it says they were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. Verse 17, after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Now when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst. Now remember, prisoner. Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God 
that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. But when the fourteenth night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. So until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. Now Paul's talking a lot for being a prisoner and not being in charge of anything. He says here, though, Paul was encouraging them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. And having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. And now all of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. And when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were heading for the beach. Now a little note right here at verse 40. Did you know that archaeologists have, have actually found three of those four anchors? And you can actually, you actually see them. So just more uh, discovery that verifies Scripture, that the Bible's true. Not that we need you know, more proof, but just saying uh, they, they found the anchors that belonged to this ship. In, you're talking about first century, like 50s, middle of the first century, and they found them. Right, and, and by the way, is right where the Bible said they would be. So, just saying. Verse 40, verse 41. Striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. So the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring this, I'm sorry, wanting to bring Paul safely through. So now the centurion wanted to keep him safe to get him where he needed to go. Wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened, they all were brought safely to land. Chapter 28. And when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. Now the natives showed us extraordinary kindness 
For because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled the fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out and because of the heat uh, and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he's been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say he was a god. Well, that's, that's quite a change, isn't it? One moment they think he's a murderer, that he's going to die, and the next minute they think he's a god. Well, verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. And they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. And that's, that's something. We're going to talk about just a few highlights here. Let's, let's pray before we do. Father, I thank you for this word. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us. Show us this truth that, that lies here before us. And help us then to be obedient to it. That we might glorify you with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I just want to say, uh, out of all that story, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, but I want to try to talk about uh, just a few highlights uh, in, these, in what I've kind of separated into four sections here of this text. Now, the first part is the first 12 verses of chapter 27, and the journey begins in this part. Now, what I want to point out here is, because there's, you know, it's a lot of... Um, not statistical data, but it's just kind of a lot of, a lot of information. Just says here, here's where they were. They set sail. They went here, and then they went out here. And okay, so here's the thing: in all that happened in the first 12 verses about their voyage, I want you to see how uh, the courage of Paul, even though being a prisoner, it allowed him to voice his opinion. Because when you look back at the story, and you see that uh, in verse nine, and then in verse ten. Paul could tell, and probably others thought the same thing, but just didn't say anything. He says, in verse 9, it says, the voyage was now dangerous. And the fast was already over, so it was part of their religious observance. And then it says that Paul began to admonish them. Well, as a prisoner, you're not in a place of authority. You don't really have the, the standing to speak and to voice your opinion. You know, you just sit there and be quiet and, and just, you know, take the trip. But Paul voiced his opinion because he uh, serves a God who gives him courage even in the worst circumstances. And so he's not thinking about the human authority as much as he is thinking about God and God's plan for him and God's love for sinners, right? And so Paul voices his opinion and tells them that the ship's going to be damaged and they might all die. But the reason why I point this out is because you need to have a... 
a foundation so you can see the change that takes place in these people's lives throughout the course of this journey. So how do they start out? Paul voices his opinion in verse 10, but then look at verse 11. The centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain than by what was being said by Paul. So at the beginning of the trip, Paul says, hey, this isn't going to turn out well. You, you know, it's getting dangerous out here. We shouldn't go this way. We should just hold up. And they don't listen to him, right? They just, oh, you're, you're just a prisoner. You just be, sit over there and be quiet. So that's what's going on in the first 12 verses. They don't really give much uh, consideration to what Paul has to say. So then we get to the second section where the storm blows in. This is from verse 13 down to verse 20. And so things start getting bad. That northeaster wind comes down and the ship couldn't face the wind so they're being driven by the wind because they just say, well, there's no point in trying to go into it. The lifeboat has to get put up in the ship because it's getting tore up. They had to let an anchor down to hold them up from keeping to get uh, blown into the land and, re and having a wreck. And then it says that the storm was so violent, they started throwing things overboard. Because they, they just said, well, we're, you know. And what did Paul say? Paul said, this is going to result in damage and loss to the cargo and the ship, right? So what do they, they start throwing stuff overboard. Okay? Just like, kind of like Paul said. So it was so violent, started throwing stuff overboard. The storm was tremendous. They hadn't seen the sun or the stars for several days. So it means they couldn't tell daylight, dark, couldn't tell. It was too much of a storm going on, right? You can't even get your bearings on what's, what day it is, what time of day it is. And, you know, back then they couldn't just look at their watch and say, all right, well, let's... You know, they couldn't do that. They relied a lot on the movement of the sun and the moon and the stars and tried to give them an idea of what was going on. So look at the way... The attitude changes when you get down to verse 20. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Now, do you suppose that was true of everybody on the ship? Or just maybe 275 of them? Because I suspect there's one that had a different thought different perspective, right? Because there's one on that boat that's following Jesus and has a, a definite plan, a call and a commission. You're going to testify for me in Rome. You're going to testify to the gospel. And so Jesus has told him that already. So you've got to think, Paul's sitting there, you know, God has told me i got to go to Rome. i got to testify to the gospel. I doubt very seriously if he's going to let me die in a in a ship in the middle of the sea when he's told me I've got to go to Rome, right? So Paul's feeling a little more confident than everybody else. But I want you to see for sure everybody else had abandoned all hope. Because what are they looking at? Waves, wind, rain, darkness. They're consumed with their circumstances and they're not looking at Jesus. Because as far as we can tell, there's only one guy on the boat looking at Jesus. And he's the only one that's still got a decent perspective. Now, third section. This is the place where Paul intervenes three times. Three times he intervenes. The first one is verse 21 to verse 26. People on the, on the ship had not eaten during the storm. So it says here in the Bible that Paul stood up 
in their midst. And so now you have a prisoner. They're all hopeless. And Paul stands up in front of the whole group. And he says, hey, you know, you really should have listened to me. <laughs> you shouldn't have done this. shouldn't have sailed uh, from Crete like you did. And so now you suffered all this damage. But let me just tell you that I had a visitor last night. An angel of God came to me and said, this is what's going to happen. So he tells them about the vision he'd had the night before, said there would be no loss of life, only of the ship and its contents, because Paul still had to stand before Caesar. You see that in verse 24? See, the angel reminded him, don't worry, I told you you have to go to Rome. I'm going to get you to Rome. So Paul just gets affirmed, uh, reminded that he's not going to lose his life here because he is going to testify to the gospel in Rome. But look what the next verse says in the next part of verse 24. God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. So I want to just tell you something about how it looks in our day based on this principle. And this is not just across the board, okay? Because God does what He wants to do. I'm not trying to say God's going to do this every time. It's not a magic formula. But I will tell you this. If you're following Jesus and you are devoted to Him, your Christian walk and your testimony and your life of glorifying and honoring Jesus is going to have an effect on everybody around you. If you... If I, if we stand up for Jesus, even in the midst of circumstances that are not ideal, it's going to make a difference. We might not see it right at first. It might take a little bit. But our witness for Jesus is going to make a difference in the lives of people around us. Here, God actually saved the lives of other people in this boat all because Paul was following the call and the commission, the plan of God to go to Rome and testify to the gospel. And he's a prisoner all this time. So that's his first intervention that he tells them that God has granted him all those who are sailing with him. And so he tells them to keep up their courage. And then he says in verse 25, I believe God. See that? He's testifying even in this circumstance. I believe God. This will happen just like he told me. I believe him. So he's showing his faith, not just by living it, but he's verbally saying, I believe God. The second intervention, verse 27 down to verse 32, this is when things get a little rough, and now uh, there are some people, when they start testing the depth of the water, and they throw out the four anchors, some of the sailors let down the lifeboat, and kind of say, oh yeah, we're going to take this lifeboat over here and drop an anchor off of this way, but really they want to get out of there. They're trying to escape. They're basically trying to save themselves and let everybody else just die. Okay, that's their plan. But Paul told the centurion, the leadership, he says, God's already told me he's going to save everybody. And if these people leave the ship, it's not going to happen. We have to stay in the boat. Everybody's got to stay in the boat. He says, unless everybody stays in the ship, you will not be saved. So what did the centurion do? He had the soldiers cut the rope on the boat and it just floated away. He's like, no, you're not leaving. So what's, what's happened here? In the space of 30 verses, what's just happened? In the first section, the centurion didn't pay attention to what Paul said. He listened to the captain and the pilot. He said, no, we're not going to do that. 
And then things went bad. Paul said, you should have listened. And so this time, what's he do? He said, well, Paul said, everybody's got to stay in the boat. Everybody's going to stay in the boat. <laughs> you see that? Isn't that interesting? A, a, a mindset change. Now he starts to believe Paul and say, okay, maybe I should listen to this guy. Unless everybody stays in the ship, you won't be saved. Now, third intervention, verse 33 to 38. Now this time, Paul is encouraging everyone to eat Take some nourishment. It's the 14th day. You've been constantly watching and you haven't eaten anything. So he says in verse 34, I encourage you to take some food for this is for your preservation. Look what he says. Not a hair on the head of anybody is going to perish. He's already told them, I believe God. It's going to happen just like he said. He said he's granted to me the lives of everybody on the ship. Just eat some food. Calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Right? That's what he tells them. He reminded them of his vision from God. And then look what he does. Another physical, verbal witness. It says, Paul himself... Now, let's see what this puts you in mind of. Paul himself takes some bread. He gives thanks to God in the presence of everyone. Then he broke it and he ate. Does that remind you of anything? Taking bread, giving thanks, breaking it. Yeah, that's right. In the pattern of Jesus, he demonstrates, he doesn't just say it, he's living it. He's being a witness, okay, in front of all these people. And look what the Bible says. Having said this, he took the bread, gave thanks to God. Then look at verse 36. All of them were encouraged. See, so you, you, you go from people trying to jump ship and escape and save themselves to staying in the boat and Paul intervening again and encouraging them, reminding them of the vision, reminding them that God's going to take care of it. And now it says they were all encouraged. Okay? Everybody was encouraged by Paul. 276 people. After they were nourished, they threw some more stuff overboard, some of the wheat, lightened the ship a little bit. Now, the final section of this passage. They are saved by a shipwreck. Now, isn't that ironic? They wreck on purpose, and it, it's what saves their lives. So in the last section here from verse 39 in chapter 27 to the 10th verse of 28, they see a beach after daybreak. They decide they're going to run ashore if they can. So the, stip, the, the ship sticks in the ground, and they, it was starting to get broken up by the way, so they have, to, they have to get off the boat and swim to shore. But the soldiers, don't miss this, the soldiers, verse 42... They want to kill all the prisoners because they don't want anybody to get away, right? But what does the centurion... See verse 43? But, now see, this is a complete reversal. Verse 43 says, But the centurion wanting to bring Paul safely through. Isn't that interesting? First part of chapter 27, first part of the journey. Now you just be quiet. This pilot and the captain, they know what they're doing. I'm going to listen to them. You just mind your own business. And then next thing you know, he's listening to him a little more. Then next thing you know, he's cutting the rope on the boat so the soldiers can't get away because Paul said, right? And now the centurion stops the soldiers' plan of killing the prisoners because he personally wants to take Paul safely to his destination. So he tells everybody what to do. 
people who can swim jump out, swim to shore. The ones who can't grab a piece of wood or something on the ship and float to shore. And so they all are saved, every one of them. And now what, what, what was it that Paul said? Every single one, not a hair on your head. Every single one of you is going to be saved. And what happened? Verse 44, and so it happened. They all were brought safely to land. So when you get to chapter 28, they get on this island. They discover the name of the island. The next day it's Malta. Now they have natives on the island showing kindness. They built a fire for everyone to warm up. Then this strange thing happens with Paul getting sticks for the fire, and he gets bitten by a snake, and... The natives think he's a murderer and justice is caught up with him and Paul just shakes the snake off into the fire and then he had no other issues. So then the natives who were expecting him to die, when he didn't die, they assumed he was a god. So they assume he's a murderer and then in a couple of days they assume he's a god. Kind of a quick turnaround, right? But here's the effect of that. Why does that matter? Don't know if the snake was poisonous or venomous. Don't know if it wasn't. But we do, do know he got bit, right? But why didn't he die? Same reason he didn't die in the shipwreck. Where's he got to go? He's got to go to Rome. Jesus has told him, you are going to testify in Rome. So if he doesn't die in a shipwreck, he's not going to die from a snake bite. So, but look at the effect this has. Now the leading man on the island, named Publius, welcomes and entertains them, the whole group, for three days. And then it turns out that his dad is sick. Publius' father was very sick, so Paul visited him and prayed and healed him. So God now used Paul, along all these circumstances, to heal the father of the man who was in charge on this island. Isn't that interesting? So what is the response? After this... Everybody else on the island who was sick makes a beeline to Paul. Pray for me. Help me get better. And it says in the Bible here, after this had happened, the rest of the people, this is verse 9, chapter 28, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. So why would God see fit to do that? Because he's adding credibility to the gospel message that's being proclaimed by doing miracles among the people. That, that's, that was something that was much more prominent back in the first century, back in the birth of the early church. So the natives gave Paul and the others, look what the Bible says here, honor and respect. So you go from a prisoner getting on a boat just to be taken to the next stop, and next thing you know... God uses him even in the midst of terrible circumstances to make a difference in all the lives of people around him. Even people on an island where they shipwrecked that they didn't know any of these people. And next thing you know, he's praying for the, the leading man's father and he's getting healed and he's praying for all these other people on the island and they're getting healed. And God is testifying to himself and bringing glory to his own name by using Paul, and why was that? Because Paul was obedient to what God told him to do. All along the way, Paul was following Jesus, and so even when they left, now it was going to be three months before they left and finally got to Rome. And we'll see that next week, because you look at verse 11, what we'll get into next week, it says at the end of three months we set sail and we uh, finally got to Rome. Okay, So 
When they left, it says here that the people on the island supplied all their needs. So now they're just, here, what, what, do, you need? what do you need for the trip? We'll, we'll help you. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? All because of Paul being obedient to follow Jesus. All right, so here's the conclusion. How is it that Paul was able to display such courage despite the dire circumstances of his journey to Rome? How, how is it that Paul, throughout all this, he was able to stay focused on his call and commission from God to testify to the gospel of Christ no matter what else was going on? I mean, they're in a storm, they're about to get shipwrecked, then he gets on the island, he gets bit by a snake. I mean, all this stuff is going on, but what, what's he focused on? What did God tell me to do? told me to go to Rome and testify. That's what I'm going to do. And so his focus, how, how did he do that? Why, why were the people around Paul, like the centurion or the, the natives on this island or, or Publius, why were they inclined to listen to what he had to say and then treat him with honor and respect when he was a prisoner? Why, why would they do that? All these questions have the same answer. Paul followed Jesus and trusted Him with everything. God said it? Okay. Good enough. You know, you, you ever heard that phrase, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that, that's cute. That's not really accurate. Because there's a piece in there that doesn't really belong. Right? The middle part about I believe it. Because <laughs> really, it's God said it, that settles it. That's the end of the story. If God said it, it's, it's right. It's true. Okay? And, that, and that's why when we, when we read the Bible, this isn't man's opinion. This isn't uh, something made up. This is God's Word. And when God says it, the debate's over. God said it. Je uh, Jesus had, had come to Paul, had told him what he must do, and Paul followed Jesus and trusted him with everything. See, Paul had peace in the midst of difficult circumstances because he had a close relationship with Jesus. And by the way, did you know peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. Because you can be in the midst of a conflict. You can still have peace if you got Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. So how do we live as courageous Christians in a world that is so hostile to Christianity. Stay close to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.